You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. There are two mistakes that different traditions in the Christian faith have tended to make. Some traditions make the one, others tend to make the other. Rarely does the same tradition make both. In fact, if you made both mistakes, you would actually get it all right. So there you go. (laughs) You'll see in a minute. Some traditions focus on serving others to the exclusion of proclaiming the gospel to others. Does that sound familiar? Getting a few nods. Other traditions focus almost exclusively on the proclamation of the gospel and almost never take it upon themselves to serve someone. The rationale goes in different ways. On on the one instance where we kind of meet physical needs, but we're very hesitant to talk about the gospel or talk about Jesus and, and bring what the gospel says to bear on people's lives. In that tradition, the idea is something like, well, we've got to care for people. We've got to show the love of Jesus. And if we show the love of Jesus, people will experience the love of Jesus. And we don't have to talk about him. <laughs> we can just show the love. And then in the other tradition where you, you, you get this other mistake, the rationale tends to go, well, well, why should we care for people's temporal physical needs Like, every breath needs to be attending to their eternal soul. And everything else is a distraction. Two mistakes. And oftentimes, different Christian traditions fall into one or the other. I'll give you a second to think about which one Methodists tend to fall into. You may have figured it out already, but we'll talk about that in just a second. Before we talk about which mistake Methodists and Wesleyan types tend to make, I'll say that the early Methodist movement, like John Wesley, 1700s in England, when the early Methodist movement really got off the ground, they did both. They cared for people, and they talked about Jesus. They cared for people's needs. They ministered to the hungry. They ministered to the poor. They ministered to uh, addicts. They cared for people. They cared for people that a lot of people didn't care for. John Wesley risked his reputation by going out into the field and preaching to coal miners early, early in the morning as they were on their way to work. That may not sound particularly controversial to you, but trust me, in the 18th century England, If you took your preaching outside of a pulpit into a field, get ready for some rotten tomatoes and eggs and things to be thrown at you. And that's exactly what happened to Wesley. But Wesley was committed to this. He was committed to caring for people and he was committed to preaching the gospel. And when Methodism, when the Wesleyan tradition, we'll use those words interchangeable, Methodist, Wesleyan, kind of back and forth, When our tradition has been at its best, we do both. We care for people, and we talk a lot about Jesus. Unfortunately, 
We occasionally slide into one of these mistakes. Anybody figure out which one it is yet? Somebody want to say it? Somebody daring and bold and courageous? Everybody's like, I might get it wrong. <laughs> in the Methodist tradition, in the Wesleyan tradition, we tend to say, well, you know what? Let's love him like Jesus. Never mind talking about him. And for a lot of us, it just kind of is an, a cultural, like a, we just get enculturated into it because there's not a heavy emphasis on evangelism and we don't really equip one another to talk about Jesus in a lot of instances. Other times, it's, an, it's not just an assumption or an enculturation. It's an explicit thing. I had a guy in a church one time come up and say, you know, we don't really do any, we don't do evangelism. It's not our thing. <laughs> All right, well, this probably won't last very long, but okay, you know, like, like, where have we gotten as a denomination when our leaders say, you know, those groups do evangelism, but we take care of people? In Acts 14, we find out why that's a massive problem. I wonder if you noticed it when the story slowed down a little bit. In Acts 14, we discover that acts of mercy, good works, ministries to the poor, the lame, the needy can actually inhibit people's spiritual growth if it doesn't come with the gospel proclamation. In Acts 14, we discover that if you want to be a faithful Christian, if you want to change the world, anybody want to change the world? At least your little corner of it. If you want to change the world, it requires serving and speaking, not serving or speaking. Works of mercy, works of kind, good works, caring for others, serving others. And the proclamation of the gospel is a both and, not an either or. It's a both and, not an either or. And so if we want to change the world, if we want to be faithful in mission, we can't just go take care of people. We have to actually talk to them about Jesus too. And here's why. Paul goes to, goes to excuse me, Paul's travels continue in Acts 14. In Acts 14, verses 1 through 7, we get a quick summary. I mean, it's like they're here, they're there, some people get mad, these other people are on their side, there's a conflict, somebody stirs somebody up. Like we don't get names, we don't get a ton of details, it's just chop, 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 here we go. This is happening, that's what happened. Then we get down to verse 8, they land in Lystra and everything slows down. And we hear about this one guy. The earlier part, we just get a summary, you don't hear about any one guy. These people and those people, and they're fighting, and then the, you know, the apostles hang out until somebody tries to kill them, and then they cut town and go to the next place. And they get to Lystra, and the story slows down, and we hear about this guy. He was sitting. He was sitting because his feet didn't work. He was crippled. He'd been crippled from birth. Not the first time in Acts we've met someone crippled from birth. The apostles administered Peter. And the others had ministered in the temple to a man crippled. Now Paul is doing this outside of the Holy Land in Gentile territory. We see continuity between their ministries, don't we? 
The man's listening to Paul as he's speaking. Apparently Paul was a talker. We're going to hear more about that in a few minutes. And Paul looks at him intently. And seeing that he had faith to be healed, we are told, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. The man sprang up and began to walk. Now here's the crucial, like this, like so far so good, right? The apostles go out, they start doing works of mercy and, and good works and kind. I mean, they're taking care of the poor and they're ministering to people in need. Like they're good Methodists, aren't they? That's what we do. You got a need? We'll meet the need. Amen. Well done. Notice what happens. Their works of mercy, their good works, get misinterpreted by the locals. They don't, the locals don't go, wow, you must be Christians. You just healed the guy. Instead, the locals go, wow, you must be Zeus and Hermes. And you can sort of, maybe Paul's kind of, hang on a second, hold up. And we're reading this and we're like, we're thinking, wait, don't they know? Like, haven't they heard that quote that's often attributed to Francis of, Francis of Assisi? He didn't actually say it, but it's often attributed to him. Preach the gospel everywhere you go and if necessary. Oh, you know this one, don't you? Seriously, come on. I'm gonna try it one more time. Preach the gospel everywhere you, where you go and if necessary, use words. If you haven't heard it, I'm proud of you because it's wrong, right? Like, like people say that, I've heard it all my life. And people are like, yeah. And what do they mean? They mean we want to show the love of Jesus without actually talking about him. Well, that's what Paul does. Well, he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about God in just a minute. But here, they show the love of Jesus and their good works are attributed to pagan idols and false gods. They show the love of Jesus and the people in Lystra interpret it through their pagan, non-Christian grid. They show the love of Jesus and the people in the local community mishear. They don't, I mean, they don't get it. They don't understand. They misinterpret the miracle because they read, they, they, they interpret the miracle through their religious upbringing, through their cultural upbringing. We're about to hear about the priest of Zeus. He's got a temple on the outskirts of town. And if Zeus shows up in human form, we'll grab the ox and get some garland and come on down, we'll have a feast. Now, it's not the first time in Acts that a human being has been declared to be a god. Happened to Herod one time, didn't it? He didn't correct the misinterpretation and wound up dead very quickly. Paul and Barnabas are a little sharper on it, aren't they? And they very quickly say, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice they wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because they thought Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes because he talked too much. And Hermes was the one who talked more. And I wonder how many times Christians, Methodists, 
have done a good deed, neglected to mention Jesus, and were misunderstood. And the gospel didn't go forward. Maybe it was even hindered. Because if these guys hadn't said anything, they wouldn't have advanced the kingdom. They would have reinstantiated, they would have strengthened the local pagan false religion. So if our posture is, well, we love on people, but we don't really talk about Jesus. Because after all, if we started saying Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead, that'd mean you'd have to do what He says. And that would insult your faith because everybody's got their own faith and you've got your faith and you've got your faith and that group's got their faith and that group's got their faith and everybody's got their faith. And if we really get, like, if we really take the claims of Jesus and put them out front, that's going to make people feel like their faith isn't valid or isn't as, you know, substantial or isn't real. (laughs) And how many times, how many times have we Christians, no, wait, wait, let's, One more time. We Methodists done the works of mercy without the word of the gospel and left the wrong impression. Just think about that for a second. Now before we get all high and mighty, it's really easy to do. Take a minute first. Take take a second and think about it. Would you rather write a check or go sit down with somebody you barely know and tell them that Jesus died for their sins? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one. We know what's easier, don't we? Like, here's 25 bucks. I'm not discouraging writing checks. We'll do our, we'll do our stewardship stuff later on in the year, and you can write all the checks you want. But uh, you see my point. Is it easier to show up for a work day? Or ask a colleague, hey, you know, do you know the Jesus story? Rarely do people get rejected on work days. Right? I mean, when was the last time you went out to do some good deeds and somebody was like, don't bring your good deeds around here. Like that, I'm, and remember, like it's it's a both and, not an either or. Not saying you should give up on the good deeds and the works of mercy and just talk about Jesus. We'd be falling into the other mistake if we did that. So we're going to do minute. We're going to take up special offerings and we're going to send money to the Pregnancy Help Center and Friendship Mission. We're going to show up. And we're going to do soup kitchens and we're going to fix people's windows and we're going to make sure that kids have coats in the wintertime. Like all that stuff is crucially important, but it's a both and, not an either or. When it's an either or, things get confused. Like and if Paul and if Barnabas had just stopped right there and said, all right, well, we showed the love of Jesus. Their problem, if they didn't get it, let's go to the next town. They're unfaithful. They probably would have been struck dead or something for not correcting them. Like, that's what happened to Herod when he didn't correct people who said he was a god. So what do they do? They go nuts. Like, they tear their clothes. Just listen to it again. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, 
friends, why are you doing this? We're mortals just like you. Remember, in Greek mythology, the major difference between the gods and humans was mortality. The gods were the immortals. Human beings were mortal. That was about it. Uh, the gods were basically like supersized versions of human beings. They just couldn't die. That was it's like, think of all your either worst nightmares and blow it up to cosmic proportions, and that's the bad gods. Think of all the things you like to do, like sit around and eat and feast and whatever, and blow it up to infinite you know, cosmic proportions. Those are the good gods. And they hang out on the mountain and eat sweets and drink tasty things. And, and then there's the bad ones who kind of pick on people. And sometimes it goes back and forth. They were, they were a lot like us. They just couldn't die. <laughs> kind of, you never, you, you, know, you never were sure which side of the bed Zeus was going to wake up on every morning. He might be nice or he might be kind of capricious. The Greek gods were a lot like the Greeks, just stronger and immortal. So when Paul says we're mortals, like he is saying in language they would understand, we are not who you think we are. We are not Zeus and Hermes. We're human beings. We're mortals, just like you. Stop it. And then he begins to clarify by introducing the identity of Israel's God, the Creator God, the transcendent God. And these are the kinds of things that he, that he, that he emphasizes. What needs to be clarified? Because there's clearly some things that are unclear. So he emphasizes the absolute transcendence of God. The transcendence just means God is not this world. He transcends this world. In Greek and Roman religion, the gods were very closely identified with this world. And in fact, not just the Greeks, Romans, like any pagan religion, you get like a river god, you get the tree god, you get the god, like the stars are gods. And it's like the gods are associated with nature, aren't they? You can make images of them. They kind of look like people. Well, Paul insists that this God, their God, the Creator God, the God that they are proclaiming, because if you want to make a difference, if you want to impact, if you want to change the world, if you want to change Lystra, if you want to change the river region, if you want to make a change, speaking and proclaiming, not an either or, but a both and. So they've done, I said speaking and proclaiming, serving and speaking. They've done the serving, now they're going to do the speaking. To clarify, their God isn't part of the earth. He's not associated with trees or rivers or anything in the world. He made all those things. He's transcendent. He's above it. He's beyond it. He's the creator. He's not part of the creation. Why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. We bring you good news. Gospel that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet he has not left himself without a witness. In doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, and filling you with food, your hearts with joy. And Paul is trying to help them seize, trying to clarify for them. Zeus, Hermes, and all the other 
multiple Greco-Roman gods are caricatures at best and misleading, honestly, at worst. You pray to them for good crops, but they're not the ones who offer it. The Creator in His kindness fills your heart with joy and brings rain on your crops and sustains your life. And He's put up with your waywardness for centuries. But the very fact that Paul and Barnabas are here means something has changed. And just sort of appealing to ignorance doesn't work anymore. Now, it's time for the nations to turn to the God who is living Creator. Now, Paul says, it's time to change and turn. Because Paul understands the good works by themselves. I mean, yeah, crucially important. That guy was crippled from birth and now he can dance. Crucially important, but insufficient by itself. And maybe alone, widely open to misinterpretation, they could be detrimentally misleading. And so he couples his good works with good news. He couples his good works with good news about who God is and how God is at work now to make himself known to the nations. You begin to see this passion that God has for the nations come clear. You begin to see how God has been patiently working to reveal Himself and and make Himself known. He's redeemed for Himself a people, Israel. And He's shown up in one Israelite, Jesus. And He's done what had to be done to deal with sin and to inaugurate the new creation, to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And now, He calls upon every tribe and every tongue every nation because He loves them. And He's called upon them to come to the throne of Jesus. Without that proclamation, the residents of Lystra remain in darkness. That's why gospel and good works are a both and, not an either or. We have to ask ourselves the question, like, what's the difference between the United Methodists and the United Way? There are lots of charities that do a lot of amazing work. Honestly, a lot of charities do a lot of amazing work better than a lot of churches do. (laughs) And we got to ask ourselves, like, like, what makes us different? What makes us distinct? What makes us distinct? Word and table. The gospel and the sacraments. Ain't nobody else got those. And you could take every charitable organization, and they do great work, not criticizing charitable organizations. But you're unlikely to catch the gospel there, aren't you? 
and you're unlikely to receive the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has given His church the means of grace. And when the Gospel is preached in Acts, people get saved, don't they? I mean, it's like the very beginning of Acts. The Holy Spirit shows up, fills Peter and the others. Peter goes out in the streets, starts talking about Jesus. And what happens when he speaks about Jesus? People get convicted of their sin. They're cut to the heart and they say, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent, be baptized. Come on in. And they do. 3,000 people meet Jesus that day. And we kind of sit around and scratch our heads and say, you know, we are loving everybody. And the church is dying all over the country. And we can't figure it out. And I just want to say, like, read the Bible. You can love everybody all you want, but if you don't talk about Jesus, nothing's going to happen. You can love everybody all you want, but if you divorce that from the proclamation of the perfect love of God in Christ, do not expect fruitfulness. So what happens when we talk about Jesus? What happens when we speak about Him? One of my go-to texts, we've talked about it before, but it's been a while, so we'll do it again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is reflecting on the first time he met the Thessalonians. Kind of showed up in Thessalonica, goes into the marketplace or the synagogue or wherever he lands first, starts talking about Jesus, and here's what happens. For we know, brothers and sisters, this is verse 4. Beloved by God that He's chosen you. Why? Because our message of the gospel, right? He's talking about the verbal articulation of what God has done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is not, like it is a, it's news, not an impression, not advice. It is a declaration of what God has done in Christ. So he says, our proclamation of the gospel, our message of the gospel came to you, not in word only. What does he mean? It means he didn't come up and it means he doesn't see the word of the gospel, the word of Christ, like all the other words out there. Like, hey, what'd you do yesterday? Those are words only. The gospel comes differently. It's distinct. It's not like all the other things we say. The gospel came to you, he says, not in word only, but also in what? Power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. What happens when Christians tell the Jesus story? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was raised according to the Scriptures. God raised Him from the dead and exalted Him to, the right hand, to, to His right hand. Jesus is Lord. The crucified Messiah has been raised. What happens when we tell that story? Paul says when you tell that story, the Holy Spirit shows up. And we know well enough in Acts that when the Spirit shows up, the Spirit shows up with power. And what does that power look like? It looks like conviction. So here's the thing, friends. When you raise those questions, hey, what do you know about Jesus? Hey, what do you know about the cross? And somebody says, well, you know, I've heard a lot about the cross. 
But nobody's really asked me that question, and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, it's a little hard to articulate for me. Why don't you help me? That's not outlandish. It will happen if you raise the questions. You can bet. You can be certain that when you tell the Jesus story, the Spirit of God will not leave you alone to do it by yourself. He will be present with power and conviction. He will do the work. Which, by the way, is really important. Like That's why we don't need to renegotiate the Gospel. Or shave off the sharp edges of the gospel. That's a temptation sometimes, isn't it? Just tell the story straight. In all of its counterintuitive weirdness, a first century Jew died at the hands of one of the strongest empires the world has ever seen, and he did it so that you could experience the perfect love of God. We're kind of used to it, but it's really kind of a weird story, admittedly. <laughs> That's why Paul said it's foolishness to Gentiles. Hey, some guy that was a subject of capital punishment will save you from your sins. When we tell the story with all of its peculiarity and counterintuitiveness, Paul says the Spirit shows up. And when the Spirit shows up, He goes to work in the hearts of those who hear. You're not by yourself. You're not solo. You're not out there alone. God is with you. And when the people of God make much of Jesus, when the people of God speak well of Jesus, when the people of God honor Jesus and tell the story straight, the kingdom of God expands. Both and, not an either or. Because if you tell the story, but you live in a way that doesn't commend the story, you'll undermine your telling of the story. You understand what I'm saying, right? We all know people, well, so-and-so goes to church, but I've seen how they live on Friday night. That's kind of a, you know, cliche, right? And it means you're a hypocrite, and we don't really, like, We don't trust you when you talk about Jesus because we know you don't honor him with your life. So we can't just talk about Jesus and never behave in a way that honors him. It's both and, not an either or. We serve and speak, not serve or speak. So we got these two kind of mistakes, don't we? And different traditions are liable to different ones. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that was kind of liable to the other one. Like, we talk a lot about Jesus, but (laughs) don't expect a handout over here. And now you're in the Methodist, and maybe you realize that sometimes Methodists will do a whole lot of handouts, and you don't always hear very much about Jesus. Let's not make either mistake. Let's be the kind of people who live in a way that embodies the character of the one who loved us and gave himself for us.
Let's be the kind of people whose lives commend the gospel. You know, imagine if Paul and Barnabas had gone into Lystra. They were like, we want to tell you guys about Jesus. And there's this crippled guy over there. And he's like, you guys, can y'all help me out? And they're like, no, nah, we don't have time to help you out. We've got to tell them about Jesus. Their souls are at stake. You think the gospel would have gone over, gone over very well there? We don't have time for your temporal needs. People's eternal souls have got to be saved. Like, no, it's not. And yet so we so easily slide into one or the other. We live in what they call a post-Christian world. If you're unfamiliar with that term, it means 50 years ago, everybody kind of in North America basically thought they were a Christian regardless of whether they were or not. But everybody basically thought they were. Like Christian values permeated kind of American society. Everybody remember that? Anybody remember that? And now here we are, decades later, and Christian values don't permeate American society, right? That's all we mean by post-Christian. After, like, like, Christianity is not the voice that drives our cultural values anymore. And we get kind of weepy about that sometimes, don't we? We kind of, you know, we'll, we'll sort of complain and we'll sort of grieve and we'll kind of say, well, you know, like, the world's going you know where in a handbasket and it's just such a shame. and Things aren't like they used to be. And at one level, I get that. At another level, I think we have a stunning opportunity. Because when we kind of confuse our cultural values and our Christian values, when they kind of overlap a lot, it's very easy to assume you're a Christian without being one. When our Christian values and our cultural values are not overlapping very much, the opportunities for the gospel abound. You have no idea, friends, we have no idea how many people within 15 miles of us have no idea what's in this book. In the Bible, though. The buckle of the Bible, though. I was sitting in Union Springs, Alabama one time in my study. And a guy came in. We were talking about Jesus. He said, what do you know about Jesus? And he had heard about Jesus a little bit. I said, what do you know about the cross? And he said, you know, man, there's crosses all over this town. If you've been to Union Springs, you know there are crosses all over the town. This guy was 35 years old at the time. Since I've lived in this town all my life and I've seen crosses on every street corner. Nobody's ever told me what it means. 35 years. Buckle of the Bible belt. Nobody's ever told me what the cross means. Guess what he asked? What's the cross mean? You ever had anybody invite you to evangelize them? It's a pretty sweet place to be. You ever been there the first time somebody met Jesus? It's an even sweeter place to be. Friends,
if there's a future for the Wesleyan tradition, the people called Methodists, it's only lodged with the both and, not the either or. If there's a future for any church, it's only lodged in the both and, not the either or. And we love people enough to care for them now and into eternity. Because how much do we really love them if we only care for them now and not into eternity? So I'm going to finish with a challenge. Here it is. You up for it? No, I really want to know. I'm going to tell you what it is. You probably figured it out already. Are you up for it? You up for the challenge? And we're like, I know what's coming. I don't want to get into this. Tell one person the good news this week. If the one person you tell lives in your house, tell two people and make sure one of them doesn't live in your house. You should always be sure you're celebrating the gospel with the people who live in your house every day. Parents, the home is the primary place where your kids learn the gospel. Do that. But here's the challenge. Tell the Jesus story to somebody who lives outside your house this week. See what happens. And remember this, you're not responsible for the outcome. Same way the postman doesn't care whether you open the mail or not as long as he or she gets it in the box. Just make sure the message gets delivered. The outcome's up to the Holy Spirit. Only God can change a heart. Only God can regenerate human beings. Only God can do that. He desires to do it when you and I talk about Jesus. Live a life that commends the gospel and speak in a way that communicates the gospel. And you will change your world. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.